Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to another podcast of Stand Up For The Truth. And thank you. So many of you have been sharing our recent uh, shows, our podcasts on Facebook and other social media. We have noticed. We appreciate you guys. Uh, We had a little uptick in uh, traffic to our website. So we really are thankful because, as you know, um, some of the big tech and uh, media will shadow ban us or censor us in ways that are subtle. Uh, We know what's going on, but in some cases, there's not a whole lot we can do. So your part is to pray for us, pray for this ministry, and also to share the podcasts, because then your friends will see it, and that's how it gets out there even more. Very, very important topic today, and an exciting first-time guest, and we'll get to that after we open up in prayer. Well, Father, thank you that you are the God of life. Thank you that you are the one true God, and we can look to you for answers about anything that this life brings our way, any challenges, any trials, any problems, anything anything that we have questions about, Lord. We thank you that you have made your word very clear and that we have your word, that you took the time and spoke through prophets and spoke through men carried by your Holy Spirit, that we can have your words and we can look to see what will encourage us, what will inform us, what will teach us, not only about history, but about prophecy and really about any issue that might be controversial. We know what your word, your word speaks to all of these things we could possibly go through, and we thank you for that. We lift up this hour to you. We pray, God, that you would touch hearts and Right now, Lord, on this sensitive topic that we are going to be discussing, we pray that you would prepare the hearts of those who are listening who may—this may hit close to home for some of them. And we pray, Lord, for your healing. We pray that you would touch them and comfort them, but also we pray that they would be able to overcome by—with your help and be able to speak the truth about these things and and just speak to the darkness and the lies that are being promoted in our country and in our culture. Uh, We love you, Lord. We thank you so much for this time and for the opportunity to uh, discuss important issues. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here's the topic. Abortion, life. Why is it such a divisive issue in our culture and in the world today? (laughs) Why does the issue of life in a mother's womb even divide Christians? It's a head-scratcher, for sure. God speaks very clearly in Scripture on the value of the unborn. It's the basis for both the Jewish and the Christian faiths. But we've all heard someone say, well, I'm pro-life in most cases. Uh, I'm pro-life except in cases of rape. Um, One response to that would be, hey, don't punish the baby for the sins of the father. Justice demands that only perpetrators pay for their crimes. We must not punish innocent children for someone else's behavior. A baby is not the worst thing that can happen to a rape victim, and abortion is. Now, Hollywood, Planned Parenthood, the public schools, and a complicit media will never report the truth about this, but millions of women suffer severe anguish after having had an abortion. Today's guest writes, God gave me the opportunity to share with others about the humanity of all human beings in the womb. My son has never been worth less because of his size, age, location, or circumstances of conception. He is the same unique, valuable person today that he was three years ago in his first ultrasound picture. Today's guest is Paula Payton, a pro-life speaker who was conceived in rape and is the mother of a beautiful son, Caleb, who was also conceived in rape. Her story has been featured by Live Action, Life News, Life Sight, 
news and other pro-life blogs and news sources. She's an avid writer, and she shares her thoughts on the blog over at Save the One, and she speaks at various events. She's a devoted advocate for her son and all people conceived like him, and Paula enjoys sharing her testimony of her conversion from a pro-choice volunteer with Planned Parenthood and a private abortion facility to a pro-life activist. She hopes to help change our culture to make abortion unthinkable. She lives in Memphis, Tennessee, and joins us this morning. Paula Payton, thank you so much for being on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, you're very welcome. Well, you were in uh, or at um, the Pro-Life March, a March for Life in Washington, D.C., and that's one of the pictures we're going to feature in the podcast post over at the blog today, StandUpForTheTruth.com. You're holding a sign in front of the Capitol there in Washington. It says, Conceived in Rape, Mother from Rape, I Love Our Lives. I'd first, I, I do. before you get into your story and the, the details, just share how, what that experience was like for you. I'm sure you've probably been there a couple times. And just some of the events you've been speaking at, how encouraged you are by the pro-life community. So, you know, it actually was my first March for Life. Um, I've been on this side of the fence, if you will, um, for a few years now. But um, with my son being really small at first, it just wasn't feasible. And then, you know, the the finances that can, can play a part in that trip as well. As a single mom, you know, it was a little tougher to make the trip happen. Um, but finally got there this year. And um, I'll, I'll say just first off, I'll never miss one again if mm. it can be helped. Wow. Because it was just amazing, amazing. Um, I think that you know, living where I do in the South, um, I'm a little bit more blessed than some people who, you know, I'm in the Bible Belt. So there are a lot of folks here who are pro-life. I'm not the only one um, around. And I think about people in states like Washington or Oregon, um, you know, these very, very liberal states, New Mm -hmm. York, where they may not know anybody outside of like the five people in their small pro-life group who are so committed um, to that cause in their community. Um, and I think about how powerful it must be for them. And I can't even imagine because it was so powerful for me. I think all of us can kind of relate to how important that, um, that community is just how it will refresh and rejuvenate your soul and Mm. your spirit. And, and just, um, it's almost like a big retreat, you know, where you leave just feeling so re-energized, um, and it's just amazing. I mean, to be in a sea of half a million people mm. who hold the values that I hold, who believe that life, all life is sacred. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it, honestly pretty indescribable experience. Um, it's just really incredible to be um, there this year. I think, you know, where we saw the president for the first time in history address the March for Life. Um it's just incredible to see that, you know, this big shift happening in our country. It really feels like a lot of momentum. And I felt very similar to how I feel when I when I spoke, you know, this feeling maybe was just a little bit a little bit larger in scale. Um, but when I when I travel and speak, I always feel just this sense of gratitude um for people being willing to listen to my story. It's the same feeling that I have today, you know, sharing this space with all of you and this time, um, just being willing to listen to the story, um, but also just this sense of, like I said, community and um, and even connection that, you know, maybe oftentimes is a little bit deeper than I would feel with people I had just met somewhere else because we are all sharing this commitment to a cause bigger than ourselves. Absolutely. And it even goes deeper than that if those believers in Washington at the March for Life, I'm, if if many of them are believers in Christ, and then, we, then we're family. But the pro-life gathering, no matter—I mean, there are different religions, different uh, denominations, different uh, people from every walk of life, but if you're going to lock arms about this issue— Uh, Most of us would say, hey, uh, let's set aside the theology for a second, because it starts, our basic rights start with the right 
to life. So the pro-life movement is so very important, as you mentioned. And I was looking at your website. Um, I know you're speaking and you have spoken at different events. What do you have coming up? Um, so right now, I don't have anything on the schedule for the spring. Um, very open to accepting invitations if folks are still looking for a speaker. Um, I recently just freed up more time um, to make myself a lot more available to speak. So well, that's good. forward to, to what God has planned there. Okay, well, that's good for those who are listening that are in either the Midwest or wherever you might be, if you're willing to uh, bring Paula in to speak at your church or your group. Um, what a testimony. Let's, let's go back to, um, well, the beginning of your journey, Paula, and what happened. Um, and you can share whatever you feel uh, led by the Spirit to share and whatever you think uh, women listening right now, some women have gone through um, having an abortion. And uh, even Christian. I mean, Christians, say hey, uh, we're human. Uh, we make mistakes, and so there's a very wide audience here that you're speaking to, and I would love for you to share your story, starting from uh, what happened and what brought you to where you are today. Sure. Um, well, I think it's always important when hearing my story just to know that, you know, I don't come from a place of judgment because I've been on the other side of the fence um, for years, you know, volunteering with Planned Parenthood and, yes. and another private abortion facility. I mean, I promoted abortion. Mm -hmm. So there's no judgment. Um, you know, it's, it's nothing but love because I, I want to lovingly welcome people into our fold and to a place where they can find healing as well. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, so I started there at 16. Um, I, I was attending a youth gathering at a local community center once a week. And when I started, all of the um, the adult mentors or facilitators, if you will, were P Planned Parenthood employees. And I didn't know that. Um, I had grown up in church, but honestly not um, in a church that talked often about abortion or anything like that. I mean, it was just never mentioned. Um, I think if you had asked the people that attended church there, you know, they would say, sure, I'm pro-life, but they never really talked about it, not in you know, teen classes or, um, you know, from the pulpit, it just didn't come up. So I was very apathetic, very uneducated about the topic. Mm -hmm. So at 16, when I started being surrounded by all of these adults who, you know, were employed by Planned Parenthood and paid to promote their agenda to teenagers, I quickly, you know, got involved and um, just became saturated in their rhetoric. And, um, it, it was easy, I think, for them to take a young, a young girl and, and say, you know, don't you, don't you want to support women and, um, and support the rights of women? Um, don't you want to help women? And of course I did. I just didn't realize that what they were actually doing was not at all helpful. Exactly. So I, um, I rose in the ranks through, you know, still being a volunteer, but, um, getting higher up in, and jobs that I had there, I never directly worked with, um, you know, women coming in to have abortions as far as being in the clinic or, you know, doing some of the things maybe if people have seen unplanned, like I didn't have those type of jobs in the clinic. Um, but I absolutely promoted abortion and I just didn't know any better. You know, I think I've heard from a lot of people who say, well, in this day and age, how can you not know about fetal development? And the truth is, like, I didn't know. You know, I was a millennial who'd grown up with Internet and had a <laughs> smartphone, not not at 16, but, you know, in college, I like, had a smartphone. And, um, you know, I still didn't know because I, I didn't have a reason hmm. to Google fetal development wow. when I was told all the time, like, you know, it's just a clump of cells by people I trusted. Right. And And not just that, but constantly told like yeah you know these crazy pro-life people who hate women they put out this really incorrect information on the internet so you really have to be careful what you look at and you know I just didn't see the point when I trusted these people and I knew that you know I could find information that wasn't accurate according to them you know according to what I've been told so 
So I never bothered to Google it. So I had no true information. Everything that I believed were the lies that I had been told. And those were lies that promoted a very clear pro-abortion agenda. Mm-hmm. So fast forward to 2016, um, I was not really making the kind of choices that I should be making, particularly as someone who identified as a Christian, but I was mm. attending the Episcopal Church, and oh. those oh. can vary quite a bit in mm-hmm. how much they actually follow the Bible, but if you look at the Church as a whole, there's a lot going on with many different um, issues that, you know, we can truly say, you know, the Church as a whole is not following the Word of God, and um it was easy to be there, right? Because I never had to to face what I was involved with. Um, they were, I didn't have to justify my sin even because they didn't see it as sin. Um, it was an easy place to be. And I am someone now who totally believes church should challenge you um, in every way. But I uh, wasn't making great choices and didn't really have the accountability that I needed to make better choices, because again, where I was going to church. Um, So I got pregnant, um, experienced an unplanned pregnancy, and um, not great circumstances, but I was really excited. And um, abortion had always been something I said probably wasn't something I would personally do. So I described myself as personally pro-life and politically pro-choice, as if the two can truly coexist. Exactly. One can't be pro-life and think that it's okay for someone else to have an abortion. Um, but I, uh, you know, just, I was excited about my own baby and, um, unfortunately had a miscarriage pretty early on and it devastated me, truly devastated me. Um, and I, I say that was kind of the kickoff point of my own conversion because what happened was in my grief, it started from a place of bitterness, as mm-hmm. I think many women can. I think on some level, anybody can relate yes. to this. You know, even outside of pregnancy, you know, like, why can't I have what they have and don't want? Mm-hmm. Um, and But I think especially women who've, who've gone through miscarriage can relate to this. Um, because I, uh, I was seeing just in the—I I was doing some missions work, actually, um, overseas— when I had my miscarriage um, and I was seeing all of these children who were living in such deep, deep poverty, like they were starving they had malaria. I actually saw a baby literally starve to death because the family didn't want to go to traditional doctors. They wanted to work with a witch doctor. Um, So in this process of grieving my first child, you know, it, it started from a place of bitterness of like, why can these people have a baby and get to hold their baby and not, you know, they don't have the resources that I have. They don't have the level of education that I have, you know, and, and all of these things. So that bitterness kind of, you know, God really used that to start changing my heart because I, I wanted so badly when people were saying, you know, well, it wasn't really a baby anyway to... What? To, you know. Wait, 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 yeah, wait. I mean, my friends, my friends were like, I mean, at least, you know, at least it was over and it, you didn't have to like watch your baby die. Um, I mean, that's the attitude, right? Because they don't consider it a baby until later on, or they don't consider it a baby until after a baby's born, or they don't consider a child a baby until they unless decide. the child is, you know, conceived in like this perfect scenario, right? Right. Um, and, and it was not a perfect scenario, but I, um, you know, I just started Googling fetal development because I wanted something to throw back at them to say, no, you know, look at this. This was my baby. You know, you don't have to feel that way, but it was my baby. And what I found blew me away on a level that I couldn't even explain because it was completely different. Mm than what I had been told for so long. And and it went even further in that, like, you know, here I was staging this little um, teeny tiny funeral to honor the life of my baby. And, you know, the wheels in my head just kept turning of, like, why did my baby deserve all this love and 
to have a mother who grieved and who, you know, deserved this whole funeral, but all these other babies who weren't truly destined to die, that wasn't their, their you know, it, it wasn't in a plan. It wasn't something that just naturally happened. Um, it, it, their deaths were planned and paid for. Why do those babies not deserve to be grieved over when there was literally no difference. Some of them were even further, you know, gestational age than the baby that I lost. Um, and that really is what started this whole process for me of, of converting. Um, and what I like to tell people is God really has a funny sense of humor because I always swore I would never become one of those crazy pro-life people I'd always been told about. Um, (laughs) And, um, you know, I went from Planned Parenthood volunteer to a sidewalk advocate. Um, and, and what started it off was a miscarriage, but what finally completed that process was becoming a mother from rape. Because what ended up happening to me when I was gang raped several months later in January of 2017, um, what I at my church who really had been my circle. I worked for the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee. I volunteered a lot at my church to the point where people would joke and call me unpaid staff because I was there every day. Um, And, you know, I, those weren't, that was my circle. They were Mm -hmm. the people I worked with. They were the people I went to church with. They were my closest friends. Um, And the experience that I had with them and with others during my pregnancy, even um, before I knew I was pregnant, when um, a female priest at that church who had been the person I was closest to prior to that um, was pushing Plan B. She, you know, bought it and gave it to me and then harassed me every few hours asking me if I had taken it yet. Wow. And um, Now, this is, let's, told, let's pause right there, Paula. This is a leader at your church that gave you Plan B, and, and in other words, to them, that was the only solution. Yes. Okay. I had so been raped, we've got it. The only thing that they saw that was just Plan B immediately. Right. That was the only, the only their their only quote choice. Um, and they a lot of people on the left say there's pro choice, but that that's they don't choose abstinence. They don't choose adoption. Uh, anyway, we it's there's never really a great place to take a break here when you're sharing a, such a heartfelt story like yours. But we've got to do that right now. When we come back, more we'll hear about the testimony and and uh, how God had carried you, Paula Payton, through this horrific ordeal, and how blessed you are now to have your three-year-old Caleb. More with Paula Payton on Stand Up For The Truth coming up. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest today is Paula Payton, and she's a pro-life speaker, and she's going to continue sharing her testimony, um, one that most of us would never really think about or imagine until we meet people like Paula who went through and experienced something as traumatic as rape. And uh, there are hundreds and hundreds, from what I understand, and maybe, Paula, before we get back to your story, um, can you confirm, even in Tennessee or Kentucky, the states that you're most familiar with, there are hundreds of rape, uh, people that were conceived in rape, or, you know, babies that were born when the mother said, I was raped, I'm going to have my baby anyway. Is is that right, or do you know the stats on that? Um, Yes. So I don't have anything that officially breaks it down by state. Um, It's estimated that there are 32,101, and this is from the FBI, um, cited by the Rape Abuse Incest National Network. it's estimated, you know, that 32,101 women in the U.S. every year become pregnant from rape. Um, and if you just break that down purely by population, which is all we really have to go on, um, then it would look like um, in Tennessee alone, um, about 640 women every year um, and, and similar numbers in Kentucky. Um, so, yes, hundreds every wow. year. Um, and, and thousands in the U.S. Wow. Well, I, we, most of us, I believe, would praise God for the women who fought through that pregnancy 
and I'm sure are so blessed, even if they made the difficult decision to give their son or daughter up for adoption, they had the baby. And you've got a beautiful little boy, Caleb. I think you call him Jelly Bean. <laughs> I did uh, this, <laughs> when I was pregnant with him. He was my jelly bean. Now he's a turkey. Yeah, he's, um. <laughs> he's a turkey now, so he's growing. Um, so go back to three years ago, Paula, um, after you were you were raped and you were just just going through this recovery process and having medical appointments and uh, you started getting advice and counsel from people. Go and, and uh, can pick up your story there. Sure. Um, so... Like I said earlier, you know, I had been attending the Episcopal Church, which if you're um, pregnant post-rape, um, I just in general don't recommend now um, because the church itself is um, has taken a very liberal stance on abortion. They're mm-hmm. fine with it for mm-hmm. any reason. Um, wow. So if, um, if you are pregnant from rape, you know, there's a good chance you're going to have a similar experience to the one I had um, in the Episcopal Church. Um, so the the people there would find out that I was pregnant, and I didn't actually tell that many of them that, um, you know, I was pregnant from rape. But there were several that had known about the rape um, because, again, you know, they were my, my closest people. You know, the people closest to me, they were my circle of friends. Um, and so they obviously knew something happened and, um, you know, just kind of discovered that I had been raped. And, of course, then when you show up pregnant a few weeks later, people get it. They knew that I was single um, and they could put the pieces together. And there was a lot of chatter going on in the background, a lot of gossip. And it just immediately became something where um, it, it wasn't just them presenting me with the option to have an abortion people, when they found out, would immediately say, well, what are you going to do? And it was never them waiting to hear about anything other than when I had scheduled an abortion appointment. Right. It was very obvious, you know, those questions that only have one answer, and you can tell that the way that it's asked. So when I, my answer, finally, I just decided every time they asked me that, I would say, I'm choosing joy. Um, And that was my choice was just to to be happy in the face of, of the pressure that continued to mount for the entirety of my pregnancy. Um, and it went on and on with these people, you know, first kind of thinking it would be easy to wear me down and, and get me to an abortion facility. And finally, um, you know, the pressure just intensified. At one point, that female priest that had bought Plan B and harassed me into taking that actually stopped speaking to me oh, wow. because I wouldn't have an abortion You're and kidding. asked her to stop bringing it up to me. Oh, my goodness. Um, there is another woman in the church who um, her husband works in banking and, um, you know, they have tons of money, He's very high up in banking. And um, she actually offered even through the third trimester to pay for me to fly from Tennessee to New Mexico to have a late-term abortion at a facility there, which, you know, can cost ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 to make that whole trip, you know, and, and pay for a late-term abortion easy. And she just assumed, you know, she kept saying to me, like, you know, is it the money? Is that why you're not doing this? Can you not pay for an abortion? I'll pay for it for you. You know, you, it's not too late. You can go to New Mexico. You really need to get this taken care of. Wow. Um, and get this taken care of, of right? Yeah. Like a pregnancy is a problem is what they're saying. And I mean, that was mild, you know, Um, a lot of the things people said to me actually have some written down so I can read you some verbatim. Um, How can you seriously raise such a thing? Oh, my goodness. Gross on so many levels. Oh, my goodness. Why would you keep that? What a freaky little rape trophy. Abort it. That thing is evil. Get rid of the devil, baby. Your son is a permanent reminder of what happened to you. He's not God's child, but keep telling yourself that. It's disgusting. God can have the bleeping thing back. Calling this thing a gift from God is bleeping disgusting. Mm. That's just a few. Now, Paula, many of us who are informed and have been, uh, you know, just up on this issue and understanding, we've been having these conversations and seeing the debates on on social media and wherever else. We've seen some of these types of comments, but these 
what you just read and shared, did they come from people you knew, your friends at church? Yes, I've had similar comments, even some using some of the same language um, on social media as well. But yes, they, I mean, this this was stuff that was being said to me by people like to my face and in text messages that were coming into my phone. Um, even I'll tell you, when I was in the delivery room, literally mid-contraction having Caleb, um, like, you know, a little bit busy over there trying to give birth, <laughs> um, two women from the hospital um, came in and, you know, I, I didn't get everything they said at first, um, because they were rambling on about being from the social work department. And again, I was a little bit busy. Um, so <laughs> they finally, you know, I'm like, what do you want? And the woman asked me, she says, you know, um, have you, she's asking me she's basically about placing him. And I'm like, placing what? And she's like, you know, have, have you made a placement plan? You know, have you called the the family? Have you even picked the family? And, you know, I love adoption. Um, absolutely love adoption, have such a heart for adoption, but that was not the, the decision that I had made. Um, and I just looked at her and I was like, I'm taking my baby home. Hmm. And she, um, she said to me, honey, in these situations, you're really just better off without the reminder. Wow. So literally in the delivery room, giving birth to a baby that I have every intention of taking home with me and mm-hmm. raising parenting still can't escape from this idea that he would be nothing more than a reminder. And those were strangers. But yes, you know, the experience I had with people who um, claimed to be my friends, claimed to love me was mm-hmm. so awful. Um, just constantly telling me he'd be a reminder and, and that, you know, he'd grow up and and be a rapist, and they'd ask me, you know, do you really want more rapists in the world? Like, oh, my goodness. This is gross. And, you know, what they didn't realize is the person they were talking to, because I had never had this conversation with them, they didn't realize I was conceived in rape. Somebody that they loved, that they wanted all the time to come over to their houses and watch their kids. You know, I wasn't a rapist. Wow. They knew I wasn't a rapist, but they didn't know that I was conceived in rape. So here they were perpetuating this idea, claiming to have so much information, and they didn't know anything. You know, I mean, it was completely false and incorrect. And, um, you know, them telling me that he would grow up to be a rapist. And I just kept thinking, I'm not a rapist. You know, like, I don't have some kind of gene that just instantly made me a rapist when I became an adult. And um, so the idea that, that he would be a rapist was just ridiculous. Um, and it, it just kept going and going. And it was through that experience that I really recognized for the first time you know, as my heart had been softened toward the issue of abortion, and again, I just had been poisoned so much about yes. what being pro-life was mm-hmm. that I hadn't really taken the label of pro-life yet. I hadn't made that my label um, until during pregnancy when I had that experience because I was like, you know, these people, they say they're pro-choice. I clearly made a choice, and they don't support that at all. Exactly. They only support abortion. <laughs> it's not about making a choice. It's about supporting abortion. And, and really, you know, as they continue to talk about this supposed genetic thing with, with him growing up to be a rapist, I was like, so it's also, you know, eugenics. It's genetic cleansing is what they're wow. looking for. So really, they should um, call the movement One Choice, because that's what they're about. One Choice. It's not pro-choice. Exactly. They're not pro, They're not about freedom and, and I mean, choosing other things. You know, maybe that's why they call it pro-choice instead of pro-choices. <laughs> yeah, we're, you know, there, there we go. There is only one yes. choice. Yes. There so, is only one that they believe in. So, Paula, we praise God for you that you uh, fought through that. And what, talk about, I mean, this is a spiritual issue at its root because God is the creator. God is the author of life. And this issue yes. of whether we are going to allow babies to live or kill them in the womb, that is a very spiritual battle. And so... Uh, it's ama- it's sad when people around us, our closest friends or family or church members or leaders, are telling you to do what would not be honoring to God. But um, there's so this is just the divide I, which we talked about at the very beginning of this podcast. The, the divide not only in the country, the culture, the media, in government, but in the church as well. Well, and even in the pro-life movement. Because you would be surprised. Um, I, I was surprised. I know uh, Rebecca Kiesling, who's a dear friend of mine, has been a guest of yours on the show before. And, yes. Um, I don't know if she shared. She actually shared this with me in D.C. this year when we were at the March for Life, that um, the the survey that she saw um, when pro-life people were surveyed, about 60% of them were okay with exceptions. 
for mm-hmm. things like rape and incest. Yes. Um, and yeah. it's just amazing to me that even people who would say, you know, yes, my core values say that, you know, life begins at conception and all lives matter, um, would then turn around and say, well, I mean, except for these over here, because they were conceived in rape and, you know, they can go. Um, and, and what I always tell people is, you know, if we believe that God is the author of life, if we believe that God creates life and is responsible for sustaining those lives, you know, um, I believe natural death is when God calls us home. Um, and if if we are that people who says, yes, God is the author of life, then why do some of us turn around and, and somehow believe that God makes throwaway people? That's mm. not a thing. He doesn't no. make a certain group of people so that they can be butchered in the womb through abortion. Exactly. Um, you know, our people group, that's not our purpose. We all have individual purposes and God has individual plans for our lives, just like everyone else. He does not make throwaway people. No. He values every single human life. And yes. Paula, we're going to have to take another break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about some articles th- that just show this divide in the country. One very good one about a recent court decision about uh, funding to abortion clinics, and another uh, unfortunate decision that is just from this week in the Senate and uh, Democrats voting something down. Plus, we're going to talk about, you wrote an article about Ashley Judd, um, that she does, must not care about rape victims because um, she's been fighting for abortion for years. But anyway, we'll get to that. There's so much more we want to share. But we have one minute before we take a break. And I just want to end this segment by sharing some information from young women uh, about young women that have gone through abortions. And for those listening today, you might want to remember some of these things to share with others. Paula, this is what you did not have to go through. Um, and that is the anguish of abortion. As traumatic as rape is and, and was for you, I can imagine, the fact that you take another violent act to make up for the first one just doesn't do you know, women any good. But many young women uh, tell others about their abortion. They try to act normal and hide it as if there are no physical or emotional pain. But we know from research that so many y- girls and young women experience severe trauma after receiving an abortion, there are, these are some verifiable symptoms. Before we take a break, uh, alcohol or drug use to distract from the pain, anger, anxiety, um, abusive relationships, believing that uh, she doesn't deserve anything better, denial, repression, pushing down the emotions of the, the guilt about having an abortion, depression, deterioration of self, self-worth, self-image, Disruption of relationships, eating disorders, feelings of helplessness or flashbacks, grief, guilt, having unprotected sex on purpose, increased sexual sexual activity as a self-punishment, and then nightmares about a baby crying, about a baby dying, or the same nightmare over and over. These are symptoms that have been documented. Preoccupation with the abortion procedure or thoughts of babies, regret, remorse, sadness to the point of inability to handle basic responsibilities, self-destructive behavior, and some of the worst things, suicidal thoughts or attempts. We'll put an article uh, called Anguish, the Anguish of Abortion in today's podcast notes. You need to be able to understand, friends, that there is so much that we are not told by Hollywood, the media, and Well, the Democrat Party and others, Planned Parenthood, who sells abortions in public schools and across our culture. We are going to be coming right back with our guest today, Paula Payton, talking about some very important articles and about just the culture in America and the battle for life. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Our guest today, Paula Payton. Uh, pro-life speaker and advocate. And now let's start with a positive story before we get to the other one, Paula. Uh, Ninth Circuit Court, uh, Trump administration stripping funding from abortion clinics is constitutional. They just ruled Monday that the Trump administration can continue uh, taking federal funding, which they shouldn't get federal funding to begin with, from clinics that offer abortions. The court upheld their uh, June 2019 declaration that taxpayer Funded 
clinics must stop referring women for abortions or be stripped of their Title X funding. Paula, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I am, I've been very excited and encouraged by it. I think that it's another step forward, and I, I applaud, you know, President Trump and, and taking that step in the court and upholding it because the reality is that, you know, federally qualified health centers outnumber abortion facilities, something like five to one. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's there, there are so many more of, of these facilities that are actually better equipped um, to, to offer these services because they're not caught up in focusing on abortion, um, but also that just offer more services in general. Um, there's so much more you can access um, at these federally health, qualified health centers than you can at places like Planned Parenthood. Um, and it, I'm just thrilled that, you know, Americans are not going to have to keep supporting the killing of innocents with our tax dollars. Mm-hmm. Um and, and that the facilities that are actually doing the work of offering health care to women in particular, you know, are going to receive the, the, these funds now. Right. And to uh, the ruling, uh, uh, Susan B. Anthony List, president, commented saying that it's a vindication of President Trump's pro-life policies and a victory for the American people. And uh, they said abortion is not family planning and that a strong majority of Americans oppose taxpayer-funded abortions. Now, let's clarify something here, Paula. Um, A majority of Americans may not be um, pro-life 100%, but uh, nearly 80% oppose taxpayer funding for abortion, because then they're they're saying, oh, my tax dollars are going to fund this. So make sure we clarify that. So we are making strides as far as uh, the battle for life, it's going to continue. It's a very, unfortunately, uh, uh, brutal <laughs> battle, especially in Washington, D.C., where it's such d- so divided. But there's another story on the other side of the coin I want to get your thoughts on. The Born Alive Infant Protection Act was voted down again, and it's the, pa- the, the Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Act. Um, Republicans tried to pass it. It failed 53 to 44 um, so it was close, but unfortunately, once again, 41 senators, all of them Democrats, voted to block the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. What does this mean? It means that when a woman goes in for an abortion, re- regardless of the age of gestation, could be weeks, could be months, and the baby is actually, somehow it, it comes out early before the doctor is able to kill it, or whatever procedure they use the baby is born, so it's living. These Democrats are saying it's supposed to die. Even if it's born, it's a living, breathing, in pain probably through the procedure, but yet the, the Democrats are saying, nope, kill it, don't let it live. This is just evil. Paula, I would love to get your thoughts on, on this. Yeah, so I anytime I think about this law, number one, I encourage people to look at the list of Democrats who vote against it because it has been voted against many, many times. And some of those Democrats are actually currently running for president. Um, And it's terrifying Mm -hmm. to think about someone who is fine with letting a child die even after birth um, being the leader of the free world, because that doesn't scream free world to me. Mm -mm. Um, I always go back to being a little kid in the 90s. And hearing people talk about the one-child policy in China mm-hmm. and how horrible it was, you know, and, and so many abortions, especially on baby girls, were committed there. But if a baby girl was born, so often they were left on a hillside to die, you know, things like that. They were just abandoned in the elements mm-hmm. and left to die. You know, I remember growing up in an America that, you know, no matter what side you fell on, Democrat or Republican, people thought that was disgusting and despicable, Um, you know, that that one would just abandon a child to die. And in reality, that's been happening here for decades. Yes. For decades. Um, And I think about my friend, my good friend, Melissa Oden, um, other people uh, within the Abortion Survivors Network that she started, like Claire Colwell, Um, and and Josiah Presley, people like Fiona Jessen, who've survived abortions. Um, And I think about Melissa's story specifically. She survived a saline infusion abortion 
um, where a toxic saline solution was injected into her birth mother's womb. Um, and the intention being um, to poison her from the inside out, and then she would be born dead. Mm. Melissa actually soaked in that solution for five days instead of the typical three. Wow. And um, wow. honestly owes her birth to the fact that the doctors thought her mother was not as far along as she actually was, so they didn't use enough saline to actually kill her. Um, and she has this backed up in, in medical records and things, and um, it, it is just honestly a, a gut-punching, heart-wrenching yes. feeling that I have when I see this, because I think about Melissa, who was, you know, quote-unquote, supposed to be left to die, those were the wishes of uh, those in charge of of the the nursing um, center or the nursing part of the hospital where she was born. And her story is fascinating, but another nurse just couldn't bear to leave her there and, and took her to the NICU where she was cared for and, and loved and um, later adopted. Um, and, you know, I just, I think about her, I think about her beautiful daughters. I, I just love her and her family so much. Mm. And, I um I think about how she wouldn't be here today and neither would her daughters. So Melissa's choice was taken away from her. Her body was, you know, was was attacked. Not yes, I, I totally believe that, you know, women who, who go through abortions do experience an attack on their own body, um, based on a for profit model um with the abortion industry in this country, but you know, we always hear the the phrase "her body, her choice." Melissa's Melissa didn't have a choice there, right? And her daughters didn't have a choice there. Their mm. bodies were not taken into consideration um, during that time. So mm. I find it despicable that yeah. you know people whose own ideology would say, you know, obviously I believe life begins at conception. They say, you know, they believe life begins at birth. Yeah. Well, when a breath is taken. So even when a child is born and is breathing, they're still fine with that child dying, and it's infanticide. It is. It's absolutely infanticide. It is, and they are so. supporting that. This sounds like harsh language, friends, but this is the truth. Um, before we run out of time, Paula, I need to ask you about your article, that it, a very thought-provoking. It's called a- Actress Ashley Judd Doesn't Care About Rape Victims Like Me Who Don't Abort. And, of course, we know she's been a vocal uh, supporter of abortion for years, promoting it for years in any way that she can, getting Democrats elected who are pro-abortion, and she uses her money and fame to do that. Well, share about what you've been working on because of the laws giving rights to the rapist. Sure. So currently, I live in a state that requires a conviction to terminate the parental rights of rapists which is the case in about half of states in the country. The other half have already passed laws using language, language, excuse me, like we're working on now, um, which is um, what has passed at the federal level in the Rape Survivor Child Custody Act. So that would say, uh, it would use evidence called the Clear and Convincing Evidence Standard. Um, so you don't have to have a conviction, which even in reported cases happens less than 3% of the time. Uh, rapes are reported less than half the time. So you're looking at less than 1.5% of rape victims and their children being protected in these states that require conviction. Um, so this is an incredibly high evidentiary standard. It's the same, um, same type of standard that's used in all other types of parental rights termination cases like abuse, neglect, uh, things like that. So right now in these states, rape victims are actually being held to a much higher standard with the conviction being required. And oftentimes convictions don't happen. It's not because, you know, the the evidence is not there. It's because the police choose not to move forward investigating or the prosecutor chooses not to move forward Mm. um, with that process. It has nothing to do with the actual case itself. Um, Things are pled out. So maybe you don't get that first degree rape conviction. You get, you know, a, a guilty plea that the prosecutor is going for to save the state money in that way. Um, and victims and our children are left unprotected. Mm. My child and I, um, you know, I share our story because I think people need to know that people conceived like us matter and ha- we have value, that we weren't necessarily um, conceived in love, but we were created in love by God. Mm, um, and, you know, I really want people to understand those points. So I share my story publicly in the pro-life movement. And what that's done is actually put us at increased risk 
um, you know, for the rapist who biologically fathered my son to sue for custody or visitation at any time. And in our state right now, if that were to happen, he would have to go spend time alone with a rapist who put a gun to my head and raped me. Oh, my goodness. You know what I mean? It's terrifying. So I look at people like Ashley Judd, who, you know, in a way, my heart goes out to her as a rape victim who had an abortion when she became pregnant from rape. But I look at her saying over and over in interviews, you know, she's constantly trying to justify the legality of abortion for this reason. And, you know, knowing that she's spent the last 35, almost 36 years constantly campaigning for politicians in our state and in Kentucky, um, which are the two states that she always cites um, when she talks about this issue, um, because her and the, the man who raped her are both from Kentucky and she lives here in Tennessee. You know, she's always saying, you know, I couldn't have carried this pregnancy to term. I couldn't have had this child because of, you know, these laws. But in almost 36 years, all this time with her political activism, her clout, her money, her she's power. never once showed up or right to all that power. Mm-hmm. She's never once tried to change this law. Right. Never once. I've been working on this for less than a year. and It's already been introduced, passed on first and second consideration in both chambers of our legislature here. And we're waiting for it to come up in committee right now. Praise I mean, God. it's taken less than a year to get this far. And I praise God and I pray mm. to God every day that, that, that this will pass. And it won't be an issue getting it passed in our legislature. But I think constantly about how, you know, she's always using that as her excuse, but she's never tried to fix the problem. And it's frustrating because had she tried to fix the problem, she very well could have. And I wouldn't be dealing with this issue right now in my own life. And you and many, many hundreds, if not thousands of rape uh, survivors. Um, Now, it's called the Rape Survivor Child Custody Act and uh, people can get more information if you want to Google that. Or uh, Paula, we got to wrap it up. It goes by way too fast. But thank you for spending time with us. How can people find out more information about you and what you're doing? So to find out more information about me, I have a website. It's paulakpayton.com, um, and then you can also find me on Facebook. My page is Paula K. Payton Pro Life Speaker. Um, and to find out more about the legislation, um, we have a website, noparentingforrapists.com. Hmm. Um, so there's a lot of information there. And right now it's specifically tailored to Tennessee just because, you know, personally for me, that's where my biggest focus is. But I'm hoping to expand that soon um, and start looking at the other half of these states that we've got to work on and, and fixing these laws to protect other women and their children across our country because we all deserve this protection. Amen. Paula Payton, God bless you. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. And let's keep in touch, okay? Thanks so much for having me, David. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. All right, we're going to wrap up today's show. Uh, Tell you about tomorrow's guest as soon as we come back. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. All right, we're excited to have, for only the second time on this podcast in the almost 10-year history, we've got the daughter of Walter Martin, the late Walter Martin, Dr. Martin, Jill Martin Rishi, tomorrow, expert on the occult and uh, false teachings. And we're going to talk about Enneagrams, goat yoga, and, quote, Christian witches, and a whole lot more with Jill Martin Rishi tomorrow. God bless you. And keep speaking the truth about things that matter.